Medic 43, District 1, Engine 51, Response, Cardiac Arrest. Hello, everybody. Welcome again to another edition of the MCHD Paramedic Podcast. This is Dr. Casey Patrick, and today we're going to add a second part to our recent uh, burnout and EMS managing burnout podcast and segue into a topic that we've discussed around the office here and in conjunction with EMS One, and that is what is the makeup of the next generation EMT. So if we're not going to be burnout and we're going to be more fulfilled in our jobs, how are we how are we going to target uh, what what the makeup is of the next generation EMT and what is the service going to look like that that paramedic works for? So joining me today are a couple of our recruitment committee members, Megan Steely and Russell Carter. Hi guys. Hello. Hi doc. And we'll roll right into some questions here. Just like I mentioned in the intro, when we talk about the next generation EMT, it's really impossible to discuss that person without discussing the service that he or she will work in. So Russell, what are some ideal qualities of a desired EMS service today? So whenever Megan and I were trying to map out this whole podcast, what we were going to talk about, we were trying to narrow down to these simple basic items. And we can really kind of use an umbrella term of just a work-life balance and and really what that means to you. And with that proper work-life balance, it really does come down to being very employer dependent. Um, So that meaning you can do everything that we spoke about in the last podcast and do a lot of self-care. But, you know, if your employer is forcing you to work, you know, two-thirds the days of the year and you're constantly being called in on overtime and then while you're at work you don't have the tools to get the job done and you don't have any work satisfaction at all um, then you're just you're probably not gonna be happy at all no matter what you do on your days off that uh, so you need to really find what kind of works for you and some things that I would say are very important are um, just as I said the the tools to get the job done with that are kind of co go hand in hand with the protocols and the clinical guidelines so uh, nothing can be more frustrating than trying to, you know, take care of a patient and maybe have your hands tied behind your back, whether that's equipment or, you know, a clinical guideline that maybe needs to be done. Um, so being able to work efficiently as a paramedic and feel satisfied at your job is very important. And obviously, uh, employee safety is a big one. You want to be able to have that longevity through the door, looking at um, maybe how long has the longest provider been there, what's the turnover, everything like that. And then just making sure all the equipment, again, is just up to date uh, so you can, again, just get your job done effectively. So just to probe a little bit more, when we talk about equipment, both current and adequate for for safety and, and job longevity, for some of the newer par- paramedics out there listening, newer uh, first responders, folks who are, you know, in their first first weeks, first months, in your experience, what are what are some of those equipment, you know, must-haves for, you know, I mean, I, some of it's from a protocol standpoint, it's patient care, but from an equipment standpoint, it may be your own, your own care. So you save your back, you save your, right. you know, you, you save your uh, ver- vertebral discs, right. <laughs> so to I'll, speak. What are some of those? I'll definitely say I'm spoiled and I got an EMS at the right time. And I think the same can be said for a lot of medics right now, but uh, and I've been in EMS about six years or so, a little over six years. And, uh, and I've pretty much had at least some kind of automated structure the entire time. I know a lot of the older folks that are going to be listening to this that are very tenured are going to 
laugh, <laughs> but uh, you know, having power load stressors in the ambulances, those are a very, very big deal for career longevity, having uh, you know, real safe seats in the back of the truck. So, uh, you know, heaven forbid something did happen, like an accident, a rollover, anything like that, you are taken care of. Um, but something else that plays into my satisfaction is, again, those clinical guidelines, the trust from the medical director to truly take care of the patient and the education to go along with that. So not only do I have these tools, but you know, medical direction has given me the ability to do so and they've made sure I'm well educated in that. And that also plays over into, um, you know, maybe even our relationship a little bit with the hospital is, is feeling like you're part of the healthcare system and the continuum of care. So instead of feeling like it's, you know, EMS is some different type of medicine in the field, we definitely have our unique challenges, but there's no reason why we can't try and match high level quality in hospital care in the out hospital environment. So the old folks out there listening to us are, are making fun of you for the, uh, for the need for uh, yeah, my back feels great for power load stretchers. But let's let's flip the script a little bit, Megan. In, when we come to things that we do now that we didn't have to do back in the day, uh, talk a little bit about the importance of the electronic medical record. Uh, we'll we'll say that the dirty word. I think uh, I've made it clear on the podcast before. I'm I'm an emergency physician, not a paramedic, but I have to deal with my own evils of the electronic medical record, just like just like y'all do. What are some uh, pointers, I guess, or some of the things that you look at uh, when you're considering the, the the EMR as far as a, a component of that job satisfaction. Well, I've uh, I've only worked for one system, but the system that we have and that we use um, is very fluid. It's very easy to chart. It makes it so that if you get backed up on calls, you can complete it quickly and effectively. And a system that makes sure that you are not redundant and makes sure that you can chart in a way that doesn't leave you open to lawsuits yeah and from my standpoint it's it's a it's a combination of appropriate prompts less redundancy i would entirely agree with that yeah and then you know just stability i've worked with with several electronic record systems and uh, some of the more disappointing ones they can be slick and easy to use and all those things that you mentioned and if the system goes down regularly in in the middle of work it it doesn't all that all bets are off it makes it a makes it an absolute disaster Absolutely. so i w- i would i don't know if you'd trade the paper charts russell for the uh <laughs> for the uh for the auto load stretchers but nonetheless we do have we do have things today that i guess back in the day i i actually am old enough to have charted on paper uh, i do i do miss it in in many many ways, but it is something that we're, we're never going to go back there. So there's no use longing for it. So um, when considering the path of a career, uh, paramedic or EMT, what specific elements should new medics focus on when interviewing and researching jobs and services, Megan? So you use the word research. I think that's extremely important. You want to make sure that the place that you're looking at is actually doing research. Are they interested in studies that are going on now? Are they aspiring to move forward with medicine? Or are they, are they just satisfied with just doing things the way it's always been done? Going along with that QA, QI, you know, do you have quality improvement measurements to make sure that you can maintain a high standard of care? Um, do you get feedback um, from your employer saying, you know, this is how we can do better. This is how you can do better. Um, I think the big one for me is just a good day-to-day atmosphere, environment um, with your coworkers, with, and I mean, that kind of goes along with the equipment. 
you know, if you're breaking your back all day or you're getting frustrated, not being able to practice the medicine you want to, or be able to give the patient the things you want to give that can just really, really make or break a system. I think, cause we spend 12, 24 hours on the job. So having a good day-to-day atmosphere is, is really how it helps balance the, what Russell was talking about, the work-life balance, engaged medical direction, being able to actually go and recognize your medical director and say, Hey, I had this call and I wanted to bounce these ideas off of you. And they don't not know who you are. They know who you are. They can recognize you. They can have time to have a conversation with you so you can get literally one-on-one conversations and medical direction with your, with your doctor. Those are all really important. I think continuing education is a big thing, making sure that it's important not just for the system to move forward, but to make sure that your employees are moving forward with their knowledge of, of the medicines that's, that's changing. Medicine is always changing. There's always studies going on that's finding improvements and stuff and making sure that your employees are caught up and up to speed on all that kind of stuff. And, you know, just thinking about kind of those check boxes that you're, you're running through there, you know, continuing education, QA, QI, um, you know, those are, those are things that you can get out of the interview day that you can get out of the, the job, you know, sort of description, whether you're looking online or looking at a, at a paper, you know, advertisement, that atmosphere though, can be a little more difficult. You know, my own personal experience, I I do think that spreads across the continuum from uh, pre-hospital care to the emergency department care and that, you know, patients per hour in the emergency department, you know, staffing paradigms with electronic medical records mm-hmm. that we use, those sort of things are, are, are fairly similar in that those can be bullet pointed, yeah. uh, quote unquote bullet pointed. But that atmosphere is a little more difficult, right? That's a, that's a nebulous one that, you know, they can put great atmosphere on there. But what does that really mean? In, in my own personal experience, I think it goes back to something in Russell's answer to question one, and that is longevity and, and, um, tenure mm-hmm. of your folks in within the company right how much turnover do you have and I, I to me I feel like that's a an excellent question to get at that atmosphere because if the atmosphere is good and the employees are valued and the compensation is is reasonable and all those other things there's you know their uh, protocols their equipment their uh, QA, QI, their mm-hmm. research, all those things. If, if people aren't leaving mm-hmm. and there's not turnover, that's a spot to where I feel like as a potential employee, you can really focus in and, and find out, you know, who's, who's left, why have they left? And if it's no one, that should be a, not a red flag, but that should be a, a good flag for you. Yeah. Would you agree, Russell? Absolutely. And, uh, whenever Megan or myself or anyone else on the recruiting committee, you know, we go to different events or different colleges or anything, we can't stress this enough. And, we say it over and over and over again during interactions with, you know, possible applicants, with their paramedic students, or maybe they're already established in a career, uh, maybe in, even in another state. Just how important it is to really see the atmosphere of that agency. So, we encourage highly, no matter what service you're interested in, to please go do a ride out there, and really see the service firsthand. Ride out with the medics that are taking care of patients in the field. Ride out with a chief or a supervisor. Try and check out their administration building. Try and get as much information. And, you know, learn as much about it as you possibly can, especially if it comes to uprooting your life and, and moving. I've had to move twice uh, for EMS jobs, and you know, each time I've gotten exposure to not just the, the city and the culture and everything like that, visiting for testing, but also trying to write out with the system and understand really what it's going to be like day to day. And that's really had a, a large impact and shows a lot of transparency of that system. Not, not that the interview day is not 
or the interview week or the interview today or whatever it is, is not valuable. But outside of that stiff structured Absolutely. time period, there's, there's, an, there's another, uh, another avenue for you to get to gather more information. And that is in, you know, the real, you know, the real life application, Absolutely. the real life, the real life job duties. So obviously scheduling is going to be important in any employment decision. And it's a topic we could probably talk on here for weeks about. There's no one size fits all option. Russell, take a minute or two and describe your personal opinions on some various scheduling models, pros, cons, things that you've learned in your experience speaking to a, a new paramedic trying to <laughs> trying to tease through all the scheduling that's, possibilities. That's a you know another good point is the audience for, for paramedics, right? Is it a brand new paramedic student versus someone that's been a paramedic for 10, 15, 20 years, you know, their experience with the schedules versus someone who's new entering shift work. And the common debate is 12s versus 24s. And again, I think that comes down to your real personal preference, right? Which one works well for you and works well for the family. I've done 12s and 24s and I felt pretty adamant about both, both times right now I'm doing 12s and previously I've done 24s and I felt strongly that I was in favor of what I was actually doing both times. Currently working 12s works very well for my family, but you know, 24s give me a lot of time off to do all kinds of different things and travel. So it's really more, you know, do you want to work more consecutive days but have shorter shifts? Or do you want to work longer in a shift but have maybe more consecutive days off? And until you really get into the working shift work, you may not necessarily know what works well for you, but that's definitely information you need to find out before going to a service and another big, big, big thing is that time off, really, that impacts your life. Mandatory overtime uh, it can be very, very impactful of that. So regardless of the schedule, you know, do they require on-call time? Do they require mandatory overtime so that, you know, sure, you may work 10 days a month doing 24-hour shifts, but if they mandate you twice a month to come in, you know, that's really going to hinder your time off, your rest, um, you know, your ability to have a satisfied home life. So scheduling is elephant one in the room. We've made it this far and haven't touched on elephant two, and that's in any employment discussion, it's going to be pay. So beyond discussing specific hourly rates, Megan, what are some additional factors to consider that can augment and improve job satisfaction from a compensation standpoint? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's a few big ones. Insurance is a huge thing. It's inevitable that people get injured or sick. You know, it's what we see and deal with every day. That's what our job is, taking care of the sick and injured. And our jobs can be very active. And if I get injured on the job, I want to know that I've got good coverage, um, that my family can still function without me working. I want to know that my family is covered with good vision, good dental, um, things like that. We talked about continuing education if you want to use EMS as a stepping stone or if you want to expand on pre-hospital care in some way, um, having the opportunity to get reimbursed for, for furthering your education, I think is a big thing. Retirement, of course, is, is something you want to know that you're going to be taken care of when you decide to stop working. You know, you should, you shouldn't work to, to stay alive. You know, uh, it shouldn't be you shouldn't have to work dangerous amounts of overtime or work multiple jobs to be able to live your life. So, um, with that, I mean, that does come into some part with your, with your salary or your base pay rate, but a lot of your life is not just that paycheck. It's that retirement, it's that insurance, it's, it's that kind of stuff. And I would say from my own personal experience, especially when I was younger, having made these mistakes for younger folks listening out there, you know, I'm, I make an hourly rate as well. And that's 
an easy number to focus on. As a younger physician that I made personal errors, was focusing too much on that hourly rate. As I make an hourly rate just like y'all do, but focusing in on some of the points that Megan just mentioned, insurance, retirement, uh, tuition reimbursement, uh, other add-ons to your to your hourly rate that make up your whole compensation picture uh, is, is very important. And some of those things can be, for younger folks, boring, can seem like they're, you know, who cares about insurance? I'm 25 and healthy. Who cares about retirement? That's however many years from now. Tuition reimbursement, things like that. I'm not using those right now. I'm just working. So those don't really matter. It's easy to, I believe, blow those off. But when you really compare apples to apples, it's hourly rate plus that compensation package. So oftentimes you'll see the hourly rate blown up in big, gigantic 40 font. Mm -hmm. And then when you look a little bit closer and you take a little bit of time and look underneath the hood, so to speak, the insurance, the retirement, uh, the other add-ons aren't there. And so that hourly rate's blown up because that's all there is. Whereas another job, job B, may have an hourly rate that's a little bit less, but the package may be much, much, much more robust, mm -hmm. making that job, in the end, more more desirable. So if you pay a little bit of attention to some of those more boring things, I think sometimes it can pay off. And I'm speaking from my own personal experience of, of messing that one up before. So moving on to another one, Russell, we discussed burnout, you and I, in a prior podcast with uh, Rimley Crow. So we won't repeat that material if you're interested take a take a rewind and listen to that one but what are some of the intangibles that a service might offer that can make or break long-term job satisfaction we've hit on you know safety and equipment protocols continuing education qa qi scheduling pay uh, before we wrap up hit on a few others that may not make every single bullet pointed list that you've experienced you know in your past job searches it helps to have opportunities to go up a career ladder or laterally move into doing other things and staying with the same agency and you can grow professionally within the organization and you know use things like tuition reimbursement to grow personally as well so that upward mobility to be able to do things like a become uh, maybe a training officer or a chief or a supervisor for that agency uh, be involved maybe in an administration being involved in a research and being involved in that QAQI is important. You know, there are some places where maybe there are relatively small services where maybe one person wears multiple hats, but it's nice to see to come in through the door and, and look at this entire career you could possibly have rather than, you know, you have your ships on the truck and you have your overtime on the truck and maybe you have CE four times a year. And that's, that's really it. There's nothing else really to get involved in. So, um, maybe they work special events, maybe they have a tactical EMS program, maybe they have a bike team. Those are both very common. Community paramedicine is a very common uh, trend right now in EMS, same with mobile integrated healthcare, and those two kind of going hand in hand. And, and one other thing that's often overlooked that you really get from that general atmosphere of going and maybe writing out the agency and you see during the interview day, um, but what's the relationship like with the receiving hospitals, with the fire departments, with law enforcement? You know, we work together hand in hand on a lot of calls pretty much all the time. And it really can be shocking for, you know, regionally how different these relationships can be between EMS and uh, our public safety partners or healthcare partners in the hospital. I would, I would say all of these things that you mentioned in the answer to that question are things that a service that has roots in a community and in the healthcare system and with the, rece with the receiving hospitals, all those 
factors take time to develop. Mm-hmm. And that's relationship building, right, with the nurses, with with the receiving docs, with the hospital administrations. Uh, you know, it's looking at looking at that career ladder. So you see, okay, this, you know, there's a mentorship program or there's a mentorship structure here that already exists. And I can look at, you know, Medic Smith, who was hired five years ago and has made step one and step two over that five years. I can see that it can be done, right? It didn't take him or her 20 years to move up one step. It took a couple. So I I have a person there who I can use as a resource and a mentor and a guide. And when you see those things already in place, that's a sign of a, of a well-developed, of a robust service. Absolutely. And that's something that may not, may not show up on, on the paper or on the, you know, the recruiting email or whatever it may be. Um, Dr. Patrick, you've been doing this a while and you've seen a lot. What are some lessons that you have learned about career longevity, satisfaction, as an emergency medical physician? Well, I would say take elements of all the questions that, that you both have answered throughout the discussion. And I would say that at different points in my career, I have valued, you know, 12s over 24s, 24s over 12s. I've adva- I valued a higher hourly rate over a over a compensation package, and then I had a bunch of kids, and so now the compensation package and the insurance becomes more important. Uh, I've wanted to go work my shifts and go home. I've also, you know, 10 years down the line, got involved as an EMS medical director and expanded, you know, expanded my practice a bit from that standpoint. So summing that all up, I would just say that wherever you are in your career, it's it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. And what I want out of an, an EM job and my EMS job now currently is is the ability to have that variety and to have options. And anywhere that closes you in within those within a within a box and limit your options, I see that as a net negative because you never know where you're going to be. If you had told me ten years ago that I would be sitting in this chair talking with y'all and and doing EMS education, I, it wasn't where I was, you know, in in 2009. I wasn't close to there, uh, so I would have not seen that as a as a plus or a minus or even anything to worry about, but going into emergency medicine allows you to have those branch points. I think going in, you know, being an EMT now in 2019, it's, it's not a five-year job necessarily. It's a job that, that, that you make a, you guys both are making a profession out of, and it's what, you know, likely you'll retire from, as opposed to, I still get asked probably once every two months, literally, what am I going to do after emergency medicine, right? And so we're a little bit in the same boat there in that being an EMT used to be an automatic stepping stone to something else, and you didn't do it long-term for a career. You didn't do emergency medicine for a career either 20, 30 years ago. You went on into surgery or you went on into pulmonology. You know, I my mom still asked me what I was, you know, when I was going to open my office. I'm like, my office is <laughs> never going to open. My office is the room where people vomit and pee in the floor and <laughs> yell at me. That's where I'm going to work and, until the day that I retire. But I think our jobs, all three of our jobs, have, have progressed over time to allow us to be career emergency medicine physicians, to, to be career paramedics. And that's, that's, um, that's encouraging to me. Uh, but I think that what you really have to remember is that your life will change, too, along that pathway. So you want those options. And if you have options there, if you have 
you know, very, very practice options. If you have varied educational options, schedule options, pay options, that's the, that's the service that you want to be with. You know, you have to, you have to be mindful, right? The wellness that we talked about with, with, uh, with Remley is important. The, you know, working a 24, seven, 365 job with nights and difficult patients and stress and death and all the things that we see is not easy. And it, in a way it, it still is a young person's job. I feel much older working night shift now than I did 15 years ago. And I will feel older 10 years from now than I do now. But it, those self-care facets that we talked about in the prior co- podcast, you know, having options that may be more administrative or m- more educational where you're not working 20 shifts in 30 days that I did, you know, I could do that when I was 30. I can't do it now. Mm-hmm. Um, but your life changes, you know, and if you have position, a job, an organization that you work for that has options for you to move and to, to gain other experiences, then that's, that's the desirable one. And when you walk through doors in emergency medicine, uh, you know, as a paramedic, most of the time those doors don't lock behind you, right? You always have that experience. I think the experience of taking care of people at their worst, whether it's on the street or in the emergency department, you can never lose that experience, right? That wisdom is, is with you forever. And so whether, no matter, you know, no matter where you branch off into, you know, there's always going to be an emergency department that needs me to work a shift, mm-hmm. right? And I have the experience built up to where I feel like I will always be able to do that. Maybe a little rusty, may need to knock some cobwebs <laughs> off, right? But it's still it's still a valuable skill, and it's a skill that you can't replace. Just like, you know, running 911 calls is, is something that not many people can do. And when you have experience doing that, you, you know, you're valued in the in the medical community, whether you decide to take an educational role or a research role or a community paramedicine or a um, MIH role, something like that, you can always go back and work on the truck. Right. And that's, and there's still days where my, my happiest is walking in for the 3 PM shift and seeing the board right. with a few patients on it and doing what I know how to do. Cause in the end, that's what I know how to do better than anything else. Yeah. Just like y'all. So, uh, right. variety, variety, I think, you know, expansion, uh, self-growth opportunities, and then a place that values you as an individual, those, those are the keys, the keys for me. So to answer, answer your question, so that's where I would, that's where I would uh, put my focus. So that's a good spot to wrap us up. Russell, Megan, thanks for putting work in on this. Thanks for joining me to discuss it. As always, if you have any questions or concerns, ideas for future podcasts, please email us at the podcast email podcast at mchd-tx.org. Leave us a review where you listen to podcasts. We've expanded out into Google Play Store and Stitcher and Spotify recently. So those uh, reviews help us expand that even further. And thank everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you all soon. This podcast was brought to you by the Montgomery County Hospital District, Texas. Production and editing by Andrew Adams. Questions or comments, which are always welcome, can be sent to podcast at mchd-tx.org. Make sure to subscribe above to keep updated to all our future casts. Music, copyright, Kevin McLeod, and Competech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0.